0: You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor for Adweek.
2: And I'm Ko i I'm the community editor at Adweek. And we are going to reflect on, oh my goodness, an entire year of the COVID-19 crisis. And with us to do that is our, I believe this is your correct title, Julian Gamboa. It's Social Media Marketing Manager
3: marketing and social media manager. Oh, yes. <laughs> I always I always have to check my email again to like make sure what's my title. But hi everybody, it's your fave
2: Julian Boyle. <laughs> you are my fave. <laughs> Welcome yeah. back. And uh uh you know, we're going to talk about um something exciting that you've helped create that's been in the making for 4 years. But we, before we do that, let's bring in our fourth person, uh Richard Collings, who covers uh everything retail commerce uh we have our new commerce editor under or like kind of overseeing that um hi richard
1: hey how's it going
2: great 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 so happy to have you all yeah
0: this is uh this is our look back episode it's going to be an emotional roller coaster uh because we're looking back at a year of quarantine a year of lockdowns uh, a year of this new reality and um I'm sure we're going to cover kind of a range of both the business impacts. Of course, this is an AdWig podcast. We're going to talk about that. Um, But we're also going to talk about our personal experiences. Uh, But it's, you know, parts of it are going to get heavy. So why don't you, Julian, start us off with some good news. What did you launch this past week? So this
3: past week was huge because uh, it's been four months in the making. And really, it kind of took off last year when I did that famous thread now that everybody keeps complimenting me about, but I just wanted to be the social media manager for Pokemon. And then it evolved into this huge thing. It became like so many different things here at ad. We could start it as like social confidential with, which I co-host with Jessica Zafaris, our audience engagement editor here. And then now after four months of planning and like behind the scenes action and lots and lots of emails, uh, we finally got to make it live and it's our first ever social Media Council. And it's co-chaired by Eric Toda, who is the Global Head of Social Marketing at Facebook, and Tatiana Holyfield, who's the Head of Social Media and Brand at Hulu. So we've got incredible people all from different seniorities, different uh, ranks, and different industries that we're beyond excited to have.
0: Yeah, it's a VIP lineup. Uh, Tell us a few of the, I mean, we all, some of us know the people, but tell us some of the brands that are represented on this council. It's pretty amazing.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll run through them real quick. Uh, so there's 16 total with Eric and Tatiana. And then we have Adam Ilenik from Twitter. Adrian Molina from Davos Brands Aviation Gin. Adrian Young, Moss.com, uh, formerly Fenty Beauty. Alec Johnson, who is actually, fun fact, he used to be my student. Well, not, he took the class that I used to teach at Berkeley. So small world. Uh, he's from TikTok. We have Shaka Cumberbatch.
0: Tinsley, who's the, the Pokemon Company International. Full I, circle, the person oh. that you were looking for when you tweeted, yeah. <laughs> I want to meet the person behind the Pokemon account. And here we are a year later.
3: We have no choice but to stand. Um, we also have an amazing guy called Gabe Alonso. He's from PepsiCo. Helen Lawrence from WhatsApp, formerly Twitter. Jotham Enduga kabuye who's from Twitch. Ken Gibbs, Amazon. Kristen Nihon from Delta Airlines. Matt Corn from... Uh, Shop Disney from the Walt Disney Company, Nathan Alibek, who is the face behind Stakeums, the face and, behind
0: Stakeums, yeah. the beard
3: behind Stakeums, <laughs> the, the beard behind. Oh, his headshot is amazing. You guys should watch it. Uh, Santi Pochat from, who's the head of social lab at Google, and Victoria Tidwell, who does is a social media specialist at IHG.
2: So, who are like what are these folks supposed to do besides be awesome and be in conversation with each other? What is your hope for this council, Julian?
3: Yeah, so uh, we've had the launch of many councils already at Adweek, so like Sustainability, DEI, Innovators, and lots of uh, other amazing councils that Nadine Deeds has helped lead. And with this one specifically, I think it really is... We've gone through so much as social media managers this past year. Like It used to be that, oh, you wear lots of hats as a social media manager. But I think the last year with COVID, we not only did marketing and social... We also did some PR, some crisis management, some educating customers, like helping the entire brand go digital. So, like, I think we wear so many hats and sometimes um, we it's a lot that that we're doing. Right. And it's a lot of different responsibilities. So the goal with this council, uh, as as most of the things that I work on, uh, has the initiative to help people currently in social media marketing or like just marketers overall, take those next steps in their careers and learn from some of the people and some of their hurdles that they've come along the journey. So it's not just to help incoming students, but it's also to help well-seasoned marketers make the next step into the C-suite or even start their own company. But really, it's it's all about lifting other voices and helping as many people as we can.
0: Yeah. And I think the recurring thread of everyone you mentioned, I mean, obviously, many of these are huge brands, but the real, the real consistent uh, think through each is that they they all have like the heart of an educator, right? Like all those people, many of us have gotten to know them well. And, uh, you know, they're just all such good folks. And, you know, social media marketing, I've, I've been in it since 2006, which is surreal to think about. And uh, it was a very competitive place. And, and there was very little transparency when social media marketing first launched, uh, partly because you just weren't allowed to talk about who was doing what. Um you know the brands really wanted to keep that secret uh they 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 didn't want to share best practices. so much has changed like and the, and this this council is such a great representation of how that we're, we're you know rising tides are gonna lift all of us uh but but more importantly, I think to your point, just emotionally, these are people who have helped each other and helped their friends and their colleagues and their peers through a very difficult year that we'll be talking about, yeah. Yeah, we definitely want to help
3: promote like some get get to work on some playbooks, some resources that anyone in the industry can can access. Can access. So again, it's all about making the the trip easier for for those that are to come.
2: I, I want to kind of um, throw this to Richard now. Um, I wonder, you know, in covering retail and so many bankruptcies and um, quarterly earnings, are you seeing kind of this similar? I mean, everyone feels exhaustion and and um, but are you seeing some of this uh, transparency and sharing of best practices, especially as retailers trying to stay afloat or even folks trying to share you know how they did it, how they how they became bright spots in the ed- industry? Can you give us a little overview of the the past year?
1: I do feel like people are really eager to share their success stories and how they made the past year work. There was a lot of talk around e-commerce and digital capabilities and how people rolled out various digital capabilities really under short notice. Uh, as they were trying to figure out, well, how are we going to survive? How are we going to get people the goods and services that they really want? So you really saw an acceleration of, you know, buy online, pick up in store, curbside pickup, uh, safe practices, uh, really went into effect. Um, and rolling out just uh, digital, you know, just in the background on the on the back end, rolling out digital technologies that would enable those things. So it was a more seamless, seamless transition. Um, having said that uh, there were a lot of you know there was there was it was't totally smooth sailing, you know, as people were trying to figure these things out, deliveries got delayed. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of grumpy people wondering, but you know one of the things I one of the refrains I heard or one of the things I heard from retailers was how patient and understanding customers were through all of this, which was really kind of a lovely thing uh, to to hear. people were really understanding of the pressures we were all under collectively. You know, as this thing played out,
0: I thought it was interesting too to see delivery drivers really included with a lot of these kind of everyday heroes, right? Like, like we had a sign in my front yard that was thanking delivery drivers, thanking grocery workers. Um, you know, it, it's it's people who have been busting their butts for for ever, um, but we don't appreciate them. Uh, and, and truth be told, their employers rarely appreciate them. Uh, so, you know, I really feel like when it comes to being patient about stuff, you can't be mad when that delivery person comes around, right? Because especially I've seen them pull up to my house at 945 at night and all I can think is like this poor person, like... What was their day like where they're dropping off my, like, completely unnecessary package at 9.45 p.m. just because I can't be bothered to go to the store uh, and expose myself? You know, it's... It, I. Those people are soldiers. I was reminded, too, early, very early, a year ago, uh, when we were first reporting on this, I remember, I think it was the SARS outbreak was around 2003 and um, and several companies told us that, like international companies, told us that when that one broke out and a lot of people in Asia couldn't leave their homes and they were locked in, they said, like, delivery was not a thing. Online ordering was not. Like, we, we, no one knew how. And so to your point about rapid adaptation, I remember them saying, you know, that was when we had to figure out online ordering, customer service, all these things. And I, looking back, I mean, where do you think... We've seen that adaptation over the past year in in retail and shopping, uh, like, what is almost night and day different now from a year ago?
1: You know, I would say really, I mean, a lot of retailers, they didn't have the kind of delivery services. They didn't have that integrated with the with the store format. A lot of retailers were way behind on on the digital front. Um, I can't tell you how many apparel retailers, men's warehouse or even specialty retailers like Party City didn't have uh, buy online, pick up in store. They didn't have that relationship between the online and the store. um, And they really had to speed those kind of efforts up. Um, I mean, that's a great point about China. They really did uh, respond respond well relatively to this pandemic because they learned so much from SARS. And so they knew what to expect. They knew what they had, what kind of procedures and policies they had to put in place in order to get things up and running to make sure people had the things they needed. Um, and we can look at the success here in the United States. We look at the Walmarts and so forth of the world, the Amazons, their sales were up uh, incredibly. And ultimately, you know, after an initial few months of shortages of a lot of things Um, Gradually, the supply chain and a lot of the retailers were able to respond in a way that people were were able to get the things that they needed. Um, And as a result, their sales uh, were incredible. I think Walmart at one point in early stages was up 74%, was nearly doubling year over year what their e commerce was the year before that. So, um, geez.
0: So, I'm curious. I always love getting personal perspective because I think each of us have had. A lot of shared experiences over the last year, but also very unique experiences. Co. what what about your, you know, shopping or your subscriptions? I mean, how has that changed? And and I guess more importantly, if everything ended tomorrow, what would you keep doing uh, in terms of retail type things that you weren't doing a year ago uh, that, you know, that have changed that you're now like, oh, actually, this is kind of convenient. I don't mind this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm a little bit of an anomaly, but um, you know, I there is there is this idea that going to the store is a fun time for me. It's like my highlight of the week. Um, so um that hadn't changed as much. I was definitely more open to things being delivered, but I, like you, like I was very mindful about uh do I really need to order this hair dye or can I just go to the store, you know, in terms of just my footprint and, and whatnot? Um, I hope that, like, I, I'm still grateful for for those everyday actions and everyday workers. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think people were looking for convenience and things to not think twice about. Um, so I've been more open to kind of subscriptions, but I was never really kind of a subscription person in the first place and try saying subscription like five times really fast.
0: <laughs> I, I think uh, we had just started Grove at the beginning, which many of you may know is, is just kind of, you get more, I guess more eco-friendly type products, household products deliver. Since then as our challenger brands event, I won't, I won't, for those, if you want to go back and listen to our challenger brands episode, we, we dig into this quite a lot. Um, but man, that space has exploded. The subscription, alternative products, uh, I re- we all remember those early days of, of just so many products being sold out. Right. And that's how we ended up with Grove is, it was like the one we had started, we had already started, but we were really just using them for like one or two things. And now, now we get just like this crate of like, here's every household product you need. Julian, what are you, uh, what do you think has changed about yourself, uh, shopping wise? Not before we get into deep personal
3: changes. Yeah. Um, so I actually
0: haven't changed the way that
3: I shop. Like I haven't uh, the, tried out like the Walmart. I think it's called Plus. That's like also curbside pickup or something like that. So Everything's I'm, called Plus now. It's, it's all Plus. <laughs> Adweek Plus. Oh, yeah, wait, there's actually an Adweek <laughs> yeah, we Plus. we actually do an Adweek Plus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... I think some of the habits that I've seen change is I'm using, like, messaging apps way more. So, like, Messenger, WhatsApp, like, even Snapchat has made a comeback. So, the way that that has affected the way I purchase thing is, like, if some of my um, housemates and I or, like, uh, friends are planning to go grocery shopping, they hit the group chat, like, who needs what, right? And then we kind of do, like, a carpool of groceries, So if that one person is already going, we we just send in whatever we need. And obviously, when we go, we also offer. So that's kind of like how we've been avoiding the the Walmart Plus and Costco Plus, if that's a thing. But, you know, that's kind of like our shopping experience has changed in that way that our friends are kind of grouping together to like drop it outside our house or like just drop it in there. So that's kind of like that behavior has
0: changed a bit we um, over this past week, we published uh, quite a few articles about this anniversary. Um, and it's a weird thing to pin an anniversary to, but we all know there were like certain dates when it all became real. Um, wh- which of, the, of these stories of just which have covered a lot of ground? Has anything jumped out at you in particular where you're like, whoa yeah, that's kind of crazy to think about or that really resonates?
2: yeah I mean um our team put together kind of these these stats, and I think you know when you when you're kind of living to the day to day it's 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 hard to kind of calculate how much has changed and um one of the stats uh, that our streaming editor Kelsey Sutton um said she said by the first week of March um, of 2020, uh, Nielsen found that Americans spent a combined one hundred sixteen point four billion minutes watching tv from streaming services that number now is up to 134.5 billion minutes uh so i know i have basically watched every single other thing in netflix that is in my preferred genre um but if, if i had a personal tracker i'd be kind of aghast at how much has been consumed because I wasn't out and about and making memories with friends. I was making fake memories with the characters that I was seeing on Netflix. Uh,
0: Richard, what, what have you, um, like, in, I, guess, I guess, yeah, both either in terms of the stats we covered, but just with your own kind of, like, life change over the past year. Has anything, especially now looking back on it, like, jumped out at you of, like, wow, that was a dramatic change? The amount
1: of time I've spent indoors completely cloistered. It's just amazing to think and how the days just kind of melded into one another. I did make a purpose. I did purposely go shopping for groceries just to have an excuse to get out. And I remember like bringing all my groceries and like scrubbing them all down as soon as I got back it was one of the things that was definitely probably the most dramatic. I don't know if I was overreacting, but I felt like, especially initially, you know, I'm going to take this extra step. <laughs> I'm going to make sure, you know, everything's clean from the the store. Um, and that's something that you've never done before. Um, so it was uh, it's uh, pretty pretty harrowing times.
0: I think the trippiest thing is when I do go to the grocery store, which is rare, or wherever. Like when you have to go out shopping somewhere, does it ever like occur to you all that? you look over and you see everyone's wearing a mask. And at first you feel good, like, right? You're like, well, I live in Alabama where a lot of people choose not to wear masks, even though they should. Um, and so honestly, if I go in somewhere and everyone's wearing a mask, my first thought is, nice, great. I am glad to see that you care about other people or and or that this store enforces <laughs> this state's uh, mask mandate and its own policies. Um, but then my second reaction after I've kind of gotten settled in shopping is like, what a dystopia we live in. Right? <laughs> like, that this is... It's walking around and everyone looks like Bane.
2: Yeah, but, like, if... You know, if you have gone to Asia, they they wear masks, like, on the subway normally because, well, for example, like, in Beijing, the pollution is so bad, right? So, I honestly... I am glad that everything... Like, the New York City subway was was cleaned up. Um, and is still being cleaned. Um, I, I'm not... I'm not there anymore, right? A year, A year ago, I was quarantining in, in, in the West Village um, at somebody's townhouse and uh, not going outside and also wiping down all the groceries um, with any, any lysol that I could get my hands on. Um, and now I'm in Seattle with a small, um, dare I say, capsule wardrobe that is completely new because I just bought all new clothes, um, from Shane, which is like a China based company, I believe. Um, and, and that's, that's really incredible, but like, I'm curious, Greiner, you know, you were doing remote work before, um, what, what changed for you? Did you notice a change in the other folks on our team or that you talked to that hadn't been used to this kind of, um, flexible format, so to
0: speak. Yeah, I mean, well, two things. Like one is the biggest change for me, I've been remote for seven years, uh full time. And the biggest change for me was that nobody was commuting. Right. And so I had this blissful, not that I don't love every single one of you, not that I don't treasure every minute we spend together. Um but I had this blissful hour at the beginning and honestly at the end of each day where I could just be productive because everyone else was on a bus or a train. And it was necessary for me, I realized, because that's when I would write articles instead of editing. That's when I wasn't on any calls. And I could just sit down with my coffee and be productive. And uh, once a week, we had a leadership team meeting, maybe like once every however many weeks we had staff meetings. Um, Now it's just, man, I, I literally roll out of bed do that thing. I'm sure many of us do. You just grab the laptop, slap it on the table next to your coffee. And and then I, I look up, like just now on the way to record this, I think it was like two o'clock, my time that we started. And I realize I haven't eaten lunch. I, I I don't think I ate breakfast. It's just every day is a blur of... But but the, the positive side of that, I guess, is that I've been listening to people kind of crap on the idea of remote work for many years, and I don't think it's a coincidence that many of Adweek's, like most productive staffers, have have long been our re- remote staffers, and and it's because it's just, in some ways, it's a lot easier. Now that said, like I think my own productivity went down quite a bit uh, when we were all in many more meetings but I also think those meetings were necessary and that like, if we hadn't done that, we would really have fallen apart as a team. I've never felt in 15 years of working with AdWeek, I've never felt more connected to this team, uh, to, to our product, the stuff that Julian and his team are doing on building communities. Um, uh, I, I think if, if anyone's active on Twitter around marketing, you've seen, um, you know, AdWeek just coming up so much in that conversation. So anyway, there's been a lot of goods, a lot of pluses, but, um, but let's, uh, you know, let's, before we run out of time, too, I want to make sure that we talk about, like I said, there's so many benchmarks, so many things we hit after a year. Um, Richard, like, tell us, like, you've covered some of the, the retail impact, but what when you went back to quantify this stuff, uh, what really jumped out at you? One of the
1: statistics that jumped out at me was the fact that 110,000 restaurants had either permanently or temporarily closed, just the impact on casual dining. And by the way, these are a lot of mom and pops in that mix. I remember walking up the west side um, where I used to live um, and seeing the number of my old favorite restaurants all completely boarded up for rent signs on the front and just the devastating impact it's had on that particular sector. Uh, so so that's been that's been you know one of the very sad things about um, the the pandemic. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of retail sectors that have done very well through the pandemic. And thanks to the part of the sacrifices of um, frontline workers, because they really were frontline workers and as essential as healthcare workers and making sure that uh, people got their, uh, you know, got the things that they needed, um, you know, as we were, as a lot of us were sheltering in place. I mean, how many people had to go out and make sure people got those deliveries, um, so we talk about the the impact on the retail side in terms of bankruptcy um and, and some of the things retailers had to do, but they depended on so many people in order for for them to meet their their sales, you know, quotas and so forth. So um so it's just like being reminded just of the the human effort that went into trying to make sure that retail, you know, stayed above water. Um just a few of the things that I think of. Um about the pandemic so
2: and the year has been particularly hard in different ways for for women and women in marketing um women who have had to maybe juggle even more um statistics and reports have shown that and so david you were able to gather dozens scores of responses from those ladies in our community and what were kind of the well, sad stories, but also what were kind of the overarching themes and what can we do to, to you know, as we transition out of this, um, make things better and easier?
0: Yeah, for, for International Women's Day, which was uh, March 8th, uh, which corresponded pretty pretty much dead on with the one-year anniversary of, of quarantine. And so we thought it would be, uh, you know, interesting and worthwhile uh, and important to ask women uh, either anonymously or by name, and we got both, um, to just tell their stories and the challenges that they went through over this past year. And we got about 130 responses. We ran about 100 of them, because uh, honestly, because some were just like childcare was the entire answer. And so we, we ran 100 in full. And um, the, I mean, it's gutting. It is the most gutting thing I've ever edited or put together. Uh, I, it's not like any of it necessarily would surprise you, but the consistency of it would if not surprise you, would greatly upset you of of how many of these experiences were shared. Uh, the the I guess the nice thing is that I've gotten a lot of feedback from women in the industry just saying reading this made me feel less alone in what I've been going through and what I've been feeling, which is is nice. Um, now, I would say more importantly, I hope men read it. I hope men in leadership read it. Uh, I, and there's also a lot of criticism in there of of fellow women in leadership who who lacked empathy. Although I will say that the vast majority of the criticism is on men, um, and and I think it's really deserved um, because basically there there's two kinds of criticism that come up a lot, uh, it, throughout these 100. Uh, one is of of spouses, um, and of husbands. Basically saying that, and we've seen this right. There's been articles about this in New York New York Times Magazine and several things. Just husbands just seemed oblivious to like helping their working wives out, like they treated them almost like live like live-in domestic help. Um, When you know these are often executives, but it doesn't really matter what level you work at. Like they. It really highlighted the lack of equal partnership, and that was a certainly a recurring theme across many of these answers. Not all. Like quite a few people said, oh, you know, unlike a lot of people, my husband actually stepped up, and and we have a 50-50, you know, uh, and it's something that's very important for me. My wife is a CEO, and so I, I do try to my, – my job's a hard one to step away from some days, but it's important for me to make sure she has that autonomy uh, to to be a top-level executive uh, while we have kids home, you know, homeschooling and all the other logistics of life. But then the other one, so in addition to criticisms of, of specifically of husbands who just basically slacked off for a damn year, um, there there were criticisms of bosses, uh, generally male bosses, who just had no empathy or just had staggeringly little empathy for what people were going through. A lot of people talked about getting in trouble for turning off their camera because they were crying and like, even if you don't know that, that's why the person turned off your, their camera. Get over it. Like, who cares? Like the that's the kind of thing that just dry, you know, was really infuriating to to read about to think about. Is that there were so many people wanted their employees to act like nothing had changed.
2: Yeah, and pro- and, and it sounds like you got. I mean, I just you know just reading through the, some of the responses, it's like. They really just cared about output, and it was a toxic work environment. I mean, I, I, I want to ask this to you guys, um, although I feel like you guys are a good group of, of men, but my in talking with some folks, I feel like a lot of men didn't know how to deal, so they just either shut down or, um, you know, turned to, to kind of comfort – alcohol or um really just narrowed into work um and so i'm wondering how you guys were able to kind of handle some of those darker days um just just curious richard do you want to start
0: welcome welcome to ad week therapy richard <laughs> no no I'm, I'm excited about this
1: i'm super glad we're going here a lot of science fiction and fantasy on netflix <laughs>
2: escapism is a real es- thing escapism. to do for trauma and this is all a traumatic period we're still in it so we're still processing so i get that um i know a couple of men who did that <laughs> it's like whatever you normally gravitate to you just kind of like oh this works so yeah uh julian
3: yeah uh for me has been more like video calls with my friends like with my girlfriends and like just friends overall it's like sometimes they tell me stuff that's going on at their work and I guess they they don't vent to like their managers or anything. So it's like always lending a a listening
0: ear can can go a long way. Yeah. I I, you know, it's like what I've been realizing lately, and this is more of a twenty twenty one thing, is like I'm I'm very extroverted and like I'm empty. I'm empty. I'm like completely drained of whatever that is, whatever that energy is that you gain from being around other people, um, it's just at zero. And it's like when people say I'm at one percent you know, airplane mode, uh, you know, and, and like coasting to see how far I can go before I just turn off. And so what that's done to me is I've become like unapologetically codependent on my friends. (laughs) Like I've never been texting more. I've never met, you know, had more conversations with people and a lot of whom I didn't even know a year ago. Right. Um, but once you find people that you resonate with and you can have those kind of honest conversations some days that's that's all that keeps me, you know, from just being in an absolute funk. Um, and I think it's really important. And I think to just be self-aware about that, right? Of like, it's okay. Like, it's this is fine. Like, some nights you just want to sit on Clubhouse for three hours and just talk about absolutely nothing. And just let your brain completely melt. And I I probably would have thought that was really a waste of time two years ago. Uh, to do those kinds of things or to have so many conversations with folks. But now I'm just like, oh, it's, it's good. That's self-care.
2: I appreciate you guys sharing um, all of that. It's it's not easy. You know, I, I think most people don't talk about the struggle. But I will say that even on Twitter and whatnot, you see more people talking about it and how it's okay not to be okay. And it's almost like, oh, now we're given permission to, to feel like that um, or not to feel anything, which is normal too.
0: Yeah, I think, like, before we, you know, leave that topic, I, I guess I just want to reiterate that if you're a supervisor, um, you know, you're a manager, like, yeah, just just kind of bring a little more empathy to what you do. And, and it's a reminder we all need sometimes because it's very easy to just be like, why isn't this person getting back to me? Why is this person being so short with me? I think that's the one I deal with more often is when I'm just like, man, this person's being a jerk to me. And then now I kind of take a step back and be like, you know, I don't know what that person's day is like. I don't know what their month is like. I don't know what's happening in their lives. And whatever. Like, if they're going to be a little short with me, it's fine. If they don't want to turn on their camera when everyone else is, that's fine. Like, none of that. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, stay on top of people about, you know, not not falling down on deadlines or whatever. But, like, even then, this is not the year. This is not the time to, like, hold people to these objective standards of, of productivity. <laughs> like, like, let's all just be as human as we can with each other and show each other as much, uh, you know, the, the phrase space and grace comes up a lot, right? And, and yeah, it's just I don't think we're ready to hear about what each person in, in our life and our work lives is going through. I, I think it would absolutely destroy us emotionally if we knew it. Um, and so just assume, just go into these things assuming that it's, it's really, really rough <laughs> and that they are barely holding on. Um, and then that way, if that's not true, if they're having a great time in quarantine, it, it, all the better. But if they're not, you can at least default to empathy. Yeah. It was a good reminder for me. Well... On that note, uh, we are uh, out of time for this week. um, But Co, I want to—I know I've—I've probably done this maybe once or twice over the last few months. I want to take a moment to really shout out Co for just the—I like—I don't know. Julian, help me out because like Co brings such a positive and thoughtful energy. Uh, to of course this podcast, but more importantly to TikTok, to social, to co- our coworkers, you know, to the Adweek atmosphere. Um, but Co, you are have just been such a a wonderful resource and friend and colleague, uh, especially over this past year. So just want to thank you while we're all here. Yeah, thank you, Co. I I know on your TikTok I always come up
3: and your Instagram stories, and it's like remember to to be in check with yourself, like listen to yourself and, and breathe. So that's always very important because sometimes like I've, I could just be grinding my teeth all day. It's like, oh, OK, I need to breathe. Right. So really appreciate you for really bringing up mental mental health awareness up.
2: Thank you. It, it is, you know, partly a reminder to myself and I, I do have bad days, too. I'm human. Um, so I want to appreciate you guys for just being you. And, you know, that reminds me to just keep being a Better, brighter part of me. Um, so, thank you.
0: Well, Julian, Richard, thanks so much for joining us, co. Thank you as always. Um, I, I had a feeling this would be an emotional conversation. It's an emotional year to look back on, uh, and it was. <laughs> like I'm feeling, I'm feeling a range of things right now. But uh, but no, I'm really appreciative. I think this is a great year to have, have uh, an important year to have great coworkers. You know, and people that you can really just be yourself with and not be freaking out about how how are they gonna. How are they going to, you know, see me? Um, and um, and it's like I was complaining on, on Twitter today. I was like feeling it's that we're recording this on Friday. And, um, you know, I was just looking back. I was like, I wasn't nearly as productive this week as I wanted to be. Like I had all these goals. I had all these things I wanted to get done. And I was just angry at myself, right, for not doing it. And then I look back and I'm like, I wrote our two most read stories of the year. Uh, I wrote that, you know, I wrote up those, the 100 stories from women, which I've never, I think, been more proud of a piece, like just to be able to play a part in getting those stories out there. Uh, and not to mention all the other amazing stuff that we accomplished as a team this week. And it just, and and I thre- I put that out there on Twitter because I wanted people to know, like, this is normal to just beat yourself up about the, and then you take a step back. It, it's like, I always say, if, if your best friend said this stuff, you'd be like, that is garbage take it back. Um, like I have a friend who every time I start to like get, get mony about stuff, she always says like, don't talk about my friend that way, (laughs) you know, when you're like kind of, kind of crapping on yourself. Um, and so, yeah, just, I would just encourage everybody, like, it's not about your value is not determined by your productivity. Um, and, and at this point, you're just, your value is your, is your humanity and just try to do what you can for other people, do what you can for yourself. And if that's, if that's all you accomplish over this, this period, then you're doing great. Um, So on that note, thanks everybody. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks all. All right. Our theme music is by home. This week's episode was produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGivney. Uh, if you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week.